0: Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. I'm going to try to see if I, I'm i kind of a, uh, I like to move around, so I don't want to be tied into this. So uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. Uh, it's always a blessing to be able to go to churches that I've not gone to yet and see how God is working and moving in uh, throughout our city. That's one of the huge blessings of Doing what I do is, you know, when you're planting a church, your perspective is kind of you have this myopic view of of what you're doing, you know, which is good. You need to be very focused on your city or your part of the city. Uh, but now, given my role, I get to step back and see how God is moving across the entire metro area. And I just want to encourage you guys that God is is moving. Uh, there is a great move of church planting happening in our city. And it's very, very exciting. And so uh, getting to work with men like Jacob is a huge blessing for me. And I just want to encourage you guys. uh, I've gotten to know Jacob some over the last two years, and um, he is the real deal. You guys probably know that better than me. But I just want to say that uh, I would affirm that, that Jacob is a wonderful pastor, and um, you guys are very blessed to have him. So um, I'm honored to be here. Thank you guys for, for having me. And uh, like I said, with my throat, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. So um, let's read the text, and then we will pray, and then we will get going. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4 or I'm sorry, 17, starting in verse 17, therefore, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Join with me in prayer. Father God, we pause to just acknowledge your presence in this place. Lord, you've been here the whole time, and and, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would quicken our spirits to the fact that your spirit is in this room, uh, wanting to meet us where we're at, wanting to minister to us, bring conviction where that is needed, encouragement where that is needed. And Lord, I just pray that uh, that in this time you would be glorified, God. Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, thy kingdom come in Loudon. Lord, your will be done as it is in heaven. In Loudon Valley Baptist Church, Lord. And so, God, we just thank you for the provision of your Word, Lord. It's fresh bread for our souls every single day. So may the broken-hearted receive encouragement, and experience your peace and comfort and joy. May the disobedient, Lord, here this morning experience conviction. May we all know you better because of our time together. And may we walk out of here, Lord, with a fire in our bones, compelled to share the good news of the gospel and see it spread throughout our community, our city, and the world, Lord. Father, we praise your holy name, for without the beautiful name of Jesus, we all would be lost in our sin. So, Lord, be glorified above all else this morning, and it's in your precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, uh, several summers ago, I was down in Cocoa Beach with my family. Uh, We go down there every year for vacation to visit friends of ours from college. And uh, one particular night, we were having dinner and uh my i was talking with my buddy and literally in passing i said to him hey while i'm down here this time i'd love to learn how to surf and and he, my buddy's a bit crazy and he looked at me and he said well how about right now i was like no dude we're having dinner like no he's like yeah let's go right now and so we look over you know kids are playing nicely together our wives were distracted in conversation. So I was like, all right, let's do it. So we grabbed the longboard, threw it in the back of his truck and drove down to the beach. And we come walking up over the dunes, right, and, and look out over the water. And we've been going to Cocoa Beach every year for over a decade, and to date... This, these were the biggest waves I've ever seen in Cocoa Beach. There was a storm off the coast whipping up, uh, you know, all manner of, of, you know, water and pushing it in. So we're talking about, about seven to nine foot waves on the East Coast. It's no joke, right? And so, um, like I said, my buddy is a little bit crazy. And so I saw a look on his face that I had never seen before. concern. Right? He's looking at, I could see the internal dialogue in his head. He's looking at this and he's like, dude, this is awesome. Right? Looking at me, this is a really bad idea. We should, we, Mark has no business being out in these waves. And so he's, you know, he's processing this, looking, the concern, it was just fleeting moments that he had that look on his face. And then he turns to me and he says, you got to own this moment no hesitation right and and uh he's like you in you in or you out you in or you out i was like dude i'm in let's do this i'm I'm not going to back down from a challenge right now right so we grabbed the board and we waded into the water and and i bring this up because i think we're going to be talking about sharing our faith today sharing our faith and Um, From my experience, it seems like when I talk to followers of Jesus, the idea, even just the idea of sharing your faith with someone else in your life who doesn't know Christ, it can feel a lot like wading out into those waves, right? Like tumultuous waters. This is a bad idea. This is crazy. Things are going to go bad, right? And, And so a lot of followers of Jesus... Uh, ...end up not sharing their faith because they're just, they're afraid it feels scary to them. And and I think if we're honest, a lot of us can be really good at doing church. But then when it comes to getting outside the four walls of Sunday morning church... uh, we, ...we aren't doing as well in bringing the hope and the message of God's reconciliation... And peace out into our communities and out into the world. We can even be really good actually uh, in terms of foreign missions, right? We can be really good at taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the other side of the world, and all the while neglect engaging the call of Jesus to make disciples in the very community in which we live, which is, which is part of the call of God on our lives. And um, I actually came across some, uh, some startling statistics this week. or um, recently, it was a little bit ago. Um, a statistic that says this. 90% of all professing followers of Jesus will never share their faith with anyone in their lifetime. And 95% of Christians will never lead another person to faith in Jesus. I mean, that's shocking. That is shocking. And I think if I were to step back and say, why is that happening? I think it's because often, too often, we lack vision, right? We lack vision. We lack a, number one, a vision for God and who God really is. Who is it that we are really talking about? And what has he done in my life? How great is our God? We lack a vision for that on, in our kind of our functional lives. And then secondly, we lack a vision for the purpose which we exist. The charge that God has put on our lives as followers of Jesus. And, and I think for, for me when I look at these statistics, more than anything, I think it illustrates just how easy it is to lose sight uh, of what we ultimately exist for. And um, I, I'm always reminded of this, the importance of having a clear vision. When I'm around my friend, my friend Gabe, who's the uh, the guy in Florida that I went surfing with, I'm reminded because Gabe is actually in the military, and in the military he is uh, what is known as a PJ or a pararescue jumper. Which is special forces for the Air Force. Kind of gives you a little clue into why he's crazy, right? You have to be crazy to do what these guys do um, in a good way, in a good way, of course. But um, so Gabe is a pararescue jumper. So PJs, their primary task is search and rescue in virtually any terrain on the planet, right? Uh, Whether it be combat or humanitarian missions, high mountain rescue. Underwater scuba rescues, they have to know it all. And these guys put their lives on the line to save others. In fact, the mission statement for the organization, for PJs, is, quote, that others may live. That's why they exist, that others may live. And I'll tell you, my buddy, he lives this. He truly does live this. I mean, he's purposeful in everything that he does. He's sent out all over the globe to, to go and save the lives of other individuals. And um, I mean, everything from his, his vocational job, his training, his life, his education, it's all dedicated to this mission that others may live. And, and I want to remind us today And my hope is that you would never lose sight that as a believer in Christ, you have a mission as well. You have a mission. And it's not that much different than the PJs, is it? Right? It's not much different than this reality that others may live. Honestly, we're going to see from Scripture today, I think, that that's not that bad of a motto for the church in a lot of ways. We exist that others may live. So... You're not meant to have a purposeless life. You're not meant to have purposeless churches. I mean, this isn't what we're meant for. We're meant to live our lives with a purpose and on a mission. And I can't overemphasize how important it is that we get this, because having a vision, because vision is absolutely vital, because we don't hit things we're not aiming for, right? You don't accidentally lose weight and become physically fit. You don't have a great marriage by accident. You don't stumble your way into excelling in your career. It doesn't work that way. And so if we're going to live lives on the mission of God, to seek and save the lost, to be ambassadors of reconciliation, it's going to be because we're intentional about it. It's going to be because we're aiming for it. It's going to be something that we're, we're actively aware of and paying attention to and moving toward. And beyond that, we're going to see today that you and I are caught up in something bigger than we could ever fathom. I mean, it's beyond what we could fathom, what we are caught up in. We are caught up in God's story of redemption that he's been writing since before time began. This is what we have been called into. And God is giving you a unique role to play in that story. He sends us out to be ambassadors to tell his story of redemption through Jesus Christ. And so ask yourself, ask yourself right now if we can just kind of reflect on our lives... Have you forgotten that you exist for a purpose? Have you slipped into a survival mode where the mission of God to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, is kind of way down on your priority list? Have you been intending to share your faith with a neighbor, co-worker, family member for years, and you just haven't done it? When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? How are you actively moving toward living your life on mission to be an ambassador of reconciliation, to share the message of God's grace, mercy, and love with those in your life? See, I think 2 Corinthians 5 does a tremendous job of really laying it out for us, and uh, I'm excited to really dig into it here this morning because I think it spells out clearly why we exist, why I'm alive today, why you're still breathing breath here today, what our purpose on earth is here as followers of Christ. There is a mission. So let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 says this, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Okay, so we have the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And here, in this particular text, he says, All of this is from God. So, My question is, when I read that, is to say, what is, quote, all of this? What is he referring to? Well, he's referring back to the verse preceding it, in verse 17, a verse that many of us are probably very familiar with, right? It it says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what that means here, What that text means is that if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus... ...you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have been made totally new at that moment of faith. You are a different person. You are a new creation. I mean, Ephesians 2 would tell us that you were spiritually dead. Now God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together... In Christ. You were you were a a sinner. Now you are a saint. You were lost. Now you are found. You were under wrath. Now we have been justified in Christ Jesus. You were enslaved to sin. Now you've been set free from sin. You were separated from God. Now by the blood of Christ you have been brought near to God. We were covered in shame and Jesus took that shame upon himself and has removed it from us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, do you think about yourself in these terms as a new creation? Do you think about yourself as as what I just laid out? It's your identity in who you are in Jesus. We should be meditating on these things and thinking about these things because we have been transformed. It is night and day. The old is gone. The new has come. This is the new me. That was the old me. Jesus has made me new. And and what I want to just point out here is the fact that you have been made new so therefore you yourself needed to be saved, didn't you? We all needed to be saved. We didn't make ourselves new. You were made new by the work of Christ. We all needed to be rescued. We all needed to be saved. And the Bible says all of this came from God. All of what has transpired in your life, in your salvation, came from God. You didn't do it on your own. God did it. Right? And so Paul now is saying all of this is from God who has reconciled us to himself. Now Paul uses this word reconcile in uh, verses 18, 19, and 20. He uses the word in, in some iteration five times in three verses. That's a lot. Right? So whenever an author is using one word in five times, in about three sentences, we should kind of perk up and pay attention to that word and say, this is an important word. It's very much a theme emerging from this. And so um, this whole text is about reconciliation. That's, that's what the primary theme here running through this particular text is. And so Paul, trying to reiterate something through repetition, is trying to get our attention and saying, this is about reconciliation which should lead us to ask well what does it mean by reconcile what is the nature of the reconciliation in uh if he, or uh, i'm sorry second corinthians 5 here what is paul talking about what does it mean to reconcile now let me illustrate this in an earthly sense okay so um jacob and i have been friends for a little while But for sake of illustration, let's say that Jacob and I are just in a knockdown, drag-out fight, right? We don't like each other. We can't even be in the same room without wanting to throw punches, right? And it's just we're at each other's throats. And uh, and so uh, because of that, we have to, quote, reconcile. And let's say we do. Praise God. We reconcile, right? What would that mean? Well, it would mean that we forgive one another. Right? It would mean that we admit where we have both been wrong. There might be some compromise in there. We are friends again. We put it back together. We mend things. We fix things. Uh, things that needed to be changed in order to restore the relationship. Maybe we, we make steps to change those things. And then there is a restored relationship. The two parties come back together again. There's a mutual agreement. Between us, and, and Jacob and I get together and I say, man, Jacob, I, man, I don't, I don't want to fight. I'm sorry for what I've done. Jacob looks at me and he says, man, I'm so glad you said that because you could beat me up, man. <laughs> Something like that. But we talk it out, we work it out, and we make up what has been right where we can, and we hug, we're bros again, that's one way for reconciliation to occur, right? Reconciliation, we, we know about this in our culture. Um, there are courts of reconciliation. There's whole organizations dedicated to engaging themselves where there's animosity to try to bring about resolve between parties. Um, you know of friendships that need to be reconciled. Maybe you have some. Yourself, Um, there's sibling rivalries and dissonance where there needs to be reconciliation. There are spouses in this room that you need to reconcile. One of you needs to admit that they've been wronged, or both of you do. And husbands, you need to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. And lay down your life for her and serve her. That's a different sermon. But... We understand what it means when we talk about this idea of reconciliation and having an alienated relationship and finding our way back to it. Now, the interesting thing about our relationship with God is that this verse says this. God reconciled us to himself. That is totally different than Jacob and I reconciling with one another, right? God reconciles us to himself. You see, when you think about sinners being reconciled to God, that's a much more difficult thing because sinners being reconciled to one another in a lot of ways seems reasonable, right? We both probably have some measure of wrong. We can both admit that. We can, we can work that out. It seems reasonable that, that would take that we could work that out and that could take place. But with God, all the sin is ours. It's all on us. He is perfect, flawless, holy, righteous, and just. And he alone has been violated by us. It's all our fault, all our guilt, all our responsibility. And God would be totally just to condemn every single one of us in this room. He would be absolutely just to do that because we All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which it would seem from a human standpoint, a logical point of view, that this relationship would be totally irreconcilable. It would be totally irreconcilable. Because what can we do to make that right? What can I do to make things right with God? And the reality is... There isn't anything I can do. And that's what this is telling us. It's telling us that we don't do anything. We place our faith in the one who has done it and accomplished it, namely Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus went and died on the cross for your sins. Jesus rose from the grave, proving that he is who he says he is rising triumphant over sin and death. Jesus has accomplished it all, so we don't do anything to reconcile with God other than cling to the finished work of Christ. God has done it all. It's all him, and we are just there to receive. You see, when reconciling, it's the offended party that sets the terms in reconciliation, right? It's usually the offended party. They get to set the terms. And in the case with God, we are the guilty ones. And so God alone gets to set the terms of reconciliation. It's totally out of our control. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it, to be reconciled to him. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. And so God set the terms. And he set the terms by saying, you can't do enough righteous acts to get right with me. You don't do a bunch of good and then we weigh the scales at the end of your life and we decide whether your good outweighs your bad. No, that's not the terms I set. The terms I have set remarkably have God himself offering his life in the place of yours to save you from your sin. It's remarkable. It's unbelievable that God would do such a thing. And I think if we're really truly to understand how remarkable this is, we have to realize that the things we have done, the life we have lived, the day we every day we live, we we are doing things that are offensive to our Lord. We're doing things that are offensive to God. And I know we live in a day and an age where everyone tells you how spectacular you are, right? You know, you can be anything you want to be. You are special. You're unique as a snowflake, you know, and everybody gets the blue ribbon because, you know, we wouldn't want to hurt anybody's self-esteem. But the reality is, is according to scripture, we all have sinned and we all have offended God. But remarkably, God makes reconciliation possible. How? How can God justify the ungodly? How does that happen? Well, reconciliation happens specifically by the work of substitution. It's the work of substitution. We've alluded to this already a bit. God justifies the ungodly by punishing a substitute. He reconciles his enmity, his justice. He satisfies his justice through the finished work of Christ. God is saying to us, hey, I know on my part I should punish your sin. I have to punish sin. I am a just Holy, righteous God. I can't just turn a blind eye to sin and still be just. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. He's going to live as you have lived. He's going to grow up as you grew up. He's going to live a life that is perfect. And then he is going to go to the cross in your place. God is going to put on him your sin, my sin, And he's going to bear the punishment for that sin upon himself. And now anyone who wants to receive that forgiveness can receive it through placing your faith in Jesus and his finished work. Jesus was the only man who didn't deserve to die. Do you realize that? Jesus is the only man because the wages of of sin is death and all of us And one day, we're all going to die because of our sin. Jesus never sinned. He's the only one that didn't deserve death. And yet he was, which makes him the perfect substitute for us. Because he didn't have any sin to pay for himself. He only, he he could take our sin because he wasn't paying for his own. And so he willingly goes to the cross for you... And for me and what does he say we sang it in one of our songs today what does he say when he's on the cross with his last breath it is finished it is finished you could be reconciled to God through Christ in one perfect act where God's justice and his mercy come together Jesus's death on the cross we see God's perfect justice He lays out the punishment for sin on Jesus. But in that same act, he's extending his infinite mercy to you and to me through that same same act. It is remarkable. So my question for you is, in reflection of that, does that stir you? Like, when you hear that, when you think about that, what does that do to your soul? Are you kind of like, nah, That's good. I've heard that before. Like, what? Right? Like, this is the greatest news the world has ever known. Like, does it stir in your soul when you hear the gospel? Does it make your heart just want to soar? Because it's that good. It really is that good. So where is your heart this morning? When you hear the gospel, when you think about the gospel, where are you in your walk with the Lord? Where are you in your your treasuring of Jesus, your love for the Lord? Um, My daughter, she she goes to a small Christian school in Arlington. And uh, a couple years back, when she was actually a kindergartner, she was a kinder, and uh, I got invited to speak at their chapel service. They do every Friday. And so the school has a tradition where, when a parent speaks, the child actually gets to introduce their parent before the school. There's about 150 kids in the the school. And so my daughter was was charged with introducing me. And so the time came for me to be introduced. And her teacher, she looks over at her and she says, Gracie, would you like to take a friend with you? You know, you're getting up in front of 150 people. You know, you want a friend to go with you?" And she looked right at her and she said, No, thank you. I got this. I was like, wow. All right. I like that. I like that confidence and boldness. And so she gets up in front of the, the... I walk up with her. We're standing there on the stage. And she pauses for a moment. Looks out across the audience. And she says, This is a very special day. This is my dad and he loves me, and we like to wrestle." And the whole place just like blows up in laughter, right, with the, the wrestling comment, right? And, and in fact, I don't think anyone heard what I said for the next 10 minutes. And so, um, so, so here's the thing. After that, I was reflecting on that moment because it, she said something there that, that will just make the heart of a parent melt, right? What did she not say? She didn't say, I love my dad. She said, my dad loves me. These are two totally different things, right? I mean, I think any parent in the room, isn't that one of the deepest desires you have for your children? That that you would know that your children knows that you love them, that they are safe and secure, that my dad loves me. Like, I mean, that that just makes my heart absolutely soar with joy, knowing that she knew, and I love her. And, And and here's the thing: how many of you here today would you say, "My heavenly Father loves me. He loves me, and I know it, and it brings me safety and security and peace." Enjoy, My Father in heaven loves me. Or is it more, man, God's mad at me. I screwed this up again. He's an angry father. Just always looking down upon you with scorn and disappointment. Where are you at with that? Because the truth of the gospel is that he loves you. That he delights in you. And that's it. There's no condemnation left for you. It was taken by Jesus on the cross. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He loves you. Period. And so my hope for you this morning is that you would ponder that reality and that as we're talking about being reconciled to God, that you would say, I know that my Father in heaven loves me and that brings my heart so much peace, so much joy. It fills my soul to know that God loves me. I mean this is what we we read in, uh, in Romans 5, right? We know that God loves us because um, Christ died for us. I mean that's, that's essentially what it says. Christ gave his life for us and while we, while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Shows his love for us. I'm working it out here. I'm figuring out the text. Like Christ shows his, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's showing his love for you. He's shown it to you. So, my biggest hope, my biggest prayer this morning, one of them, one of two prayers I've been praying for you guys, is that you would find That joy in Christ in your life. And that you would walk out of this place knowing that God loves me. In Christ, the penalty's been paid. And I I have the love of God on my life. And He delights in me. He's not looking at me like an angry, disappointed dad. He's looking at me like a dad that man, he just wants to, he wants to love on me, he wants to hug me. Because it's been, you've been reconciled. The relationship has been made right. He's brought you into relationship with himself. All right, but that's not all it says here. Um, sorry, guys, hold up a second. It's got to happen. All right, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, we are absolutely creatures of story. Have you ever noticed how much our lives revolve around stories? You thought about this, right? Um, every song is a story. Every TV show, obviously, a story. Movies, story. Netflix is a whole business based off of telling stories, right? Um, I mean, even the news. The news exists to tell stories, to report stories that are happening around the world, right? Um, my wife and I, we over spring break, we're going to go visit friends. And what are we going to do when we see our friends, We're going to sit around and we're going to tell lots of stories, right? We're going to sit around and tell stories together. I was in the grocery store not too long ago, Uh, checked out, was walking out, and looked at my brown paper bag. My brown paper bag said, every meal has a story. I was like, wow, I didn't know that my meals have stories, right? Okay, so there was a chicken, and then there was... A pig named Wilbur, and I mean, you know the story, right? It has a story. Or you could go with the story of the chef who's making the whole thing, right? So every meal has a story. So um, in fact, I was preparing this message, and I was eating pretzels. I'm not even kidding. I didn't plan this. And I was eating pretzels, and I looked down at the bag, and it says this. Decades ago, German settlers brought their favorite food staple, the pretzel, to Pennsylvania. In 1888, we started our first storefront bakery in Lancaster, where HK Anderson took part in building the tradition of the American pretzel snack, twisting everyone by hand and baking them to golden perfection in brick ovens. My pretzels have a story, right? I mean, this is, this stories are everywhere. Guys, we go camping and we hang out together, sitting around the campfire, telling stories, which just get bigger and bigger and more ridiculous and more ridiculous every time we tell it, right? I mean, this is what we do. We get, I mean, we tell stories and from stories, we get hope and joy and every other emotion you can possibly imagine. We love telling stories. Stories And we tell them all the time. And so I just wonder why on earth we don't tell the greatest story of all. The story of Jesus. Why aren't we telling that story all the time? Why don't we tell this story? You see, verse 19 says... It says that we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation and I would say that we could say the message of reconciliation is the story of redemption, right? It's the story of redemptive history. This is what the message of reconciliation is. And so what does it say about the story of redemption? It says you and I have been entrusted with it to tell the greatest story of all time. Contained within the pages of scriptures is the narrative of redemptive history and as Jesus's redeemed people We are called to tell his story. God gives us the ministry of reconciliation He's entrusted it to us which literally means he has Put it in our hands. He has laid it upon us. He has assigned it to our responsibility, given it into our care. The message, the story of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. And God, as we said, God sets the terms, right? In terms of reconciliation. And God has designed his way of bringing about Man's reconciliation with God. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you see that? How does God speak to people on earth? Does God at noon every day blow trumpets from heaven and unfurl banners and speak from the heavens and say... My son, whom I love and I'm well pleased, has given his life for you through faith in Jesus. You too can be saved. No, of course not. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He speaks through you. He speaks through me. We've been given, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. He wants to make his appeal to the people in your life, neighbors, co-workers, your family. He wants to make that appeal through you. He loves them, and he wants to bring salvation to them. How do I know that? Because you're in their life, right? God has sovereignly put you in the lives of these people so that you can bring that message to these people. God isn't going to shout from the heavens. That's not how he's designed it to work. The way in which he's designed it to work is that he makes his appeal through you and through me. He's making his appeal through us as trusted ambassadors right and we know this word ambassador it's a a lot of ways it's a heavy word it means literally that we are representatives of God I mean we know what it means for the United States to have an ambassador in other nations they represent our country and so what that means is that you and I we represent the kingdom of God we represent the kingdom of God and God is saying I want you to go ...to the people of the world, to the people in your life... ...and explain to them that they can be reconciled to me. This is the plan of redemption. God creates. Man falls. Sin enters the world. Jesus incarnates. Jesus lives the perfect life. He dies. He resurrects. He ascends into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit and he sends us. This is the the story of redemptive history. And so this is what John 20, 21 says. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So you exist to be an ambassador of reconciliation. See, this isn't a call to pastors, right? This isn't a text addressed to pastors. This is addressed to the church, to every single one of us in this room and every single person in the church, down through the ages, the greater universal church, we are called to tell the story of the gospel. Um, Dan and Gail Hoven, you don't know them, but they're a significant part of my life. And uh, I want to read you their story. I'm going to read you their story. It says this. Dan had served 11 years in the Air Force when God called us to enter full-time ministry. We were led to move to Germany shortly after we graduated from the Children Ministries Institute. We attended in Switzerland in 1987 with Child Evangelism Fellowship. We had just transferred ministries as we had been involved in a small ministry which ministered to the US military. We went to a missionary school with Sunshine Ministries based out of Texas. Then for the next few years we served there as missionaries. We traveled to many military bases to conduct Christian home seminars. It was Sunshine Ministries that sent us to Germany to minister to family, um, to minister um, to the military. While in Germany, we did one of our seminaries, our seminars for a military-family retreat at Kitsimmer, which was the European Headquarters for Child Evangelism Fellowship. We had never heard of CEF before, but when we were there, they gave a presentation on on how um, on uh, sorry guys they gave a presentation on how children are the biggest mission field in the world, which is true. Think about that: the biggest uh, density of of unbelievers in this building right now is in the kids ministry. So take that. It's mission work to go work in kids. I'll make that plug. Serve in kids, everybody. All right. Okay. So uh, they said 85% um, who have come to the Lord do so as a child. Here we were ministering to men and women in the military whose lives were broken with sin when we realized we needed to reach the children. After much prayer, we knew God wanted us to go full time with Child Evangelism Fellowship. We packed up our family of five and moved to Germany, from Germany to Switzerland, where we spent the next three months there at a training institute. Once we graduated, we went back to Michigan, where Dan and I both grew up, and we raised support. While there, Dan directed the work for the Grand Valley chapter of Michigan. However, our goal was to return to Europe. There was a need for a director to take over the work in Germany with the military. Since our life had been so connected to military life, we felt this was God, God's calling us to return. It is at that time we met you, Mark, you and your dear family in Germany. Dan and hoven led me to Christ when I was nine years old. And you see what their journey was to get to the point where our paths intersected and they shared the story of the hope of the gospel with me. Think about all that had to transpire for that that to happen right they had to raise support to be missionaries there was someone giving them 50 bucks a month that it might happen right all so that they could play a role in my salvation i mean that and a thousand other details so when i i oftentimes i think about that reality i think about what god did what he orchestrated to bring about my salvation so i just wonder what is it for you who how who shared Christ with you? Who was it that shared first shared the gospel with you? That you placed your faith in Jesus? Who was it? You see, I just pray. See, someone shared with you. I just pray that the buck wouldn't stop with us. Right? That we wouldn't be the ones to say, oh, we're, I'm not going to share. Because someone took a risk and shared with you. So I would challenge you this week actually to think about that. Think about who shared the hope of the gospel with you and how you got saved individually and all that was part of that and wrapped up in that. And then just think about that and think. Let that be a a catalyst, a fuel for you to say, the buck's not going to stop with me. I'm so thankful, Dan and Gail Hoven, were faithful to the call of God on their lives that I was able to hear the gospel in Germany through their ministry, and I don't want that to stop with me. I don't want to have be the the recipient of their faithfulness and then say I'm not going to be faithful myself to to be an ambassador of reconciliation. So may the buck not stop with. God has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. May the buck never stop with us. So how do we tell the story? How do we tell the story of reconciliation? The message of reconciliation. I think there's two primary ways that the story is communicated through our lives. Number one, tell the story through words. Okay, so there's a quote that has permeated and circled through Christendom, probably for a generation or two, where it says this. It's it's attributed to St. Francis of And it says this, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. And many of us have heard that and we're like, man, yeah, that sounds good, right? I couldn't disagree more. I totally disagree, right? I think it should be preach the gospel at all times, and words are always necessary, right? I mean, they, they are absolutely necessary. when you The sentiment falls short of its understanding of how God brings about salvation, right? How God, it's imperative that we have a verbal proclamation. It's absolutely imperative. Um, we see that uh, a lot of times I've seen in the church that, that believers will kind of default to doing acts of mercy, as, as outreach and as a as evangelism, but then there's no corresponding verbal proclamation of the hope of the gospel. And, and that falls short of what Scripture would have us do. Let me read to you Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This passage makes absolutely clear that belief will come through the proclamation of spoken words, telling the story of Jesus, the message of reconciliation with God. It will only come through words. It will only come through words this is how each one of us came to faith and so words are necessary so we're sent out into our spheres to be influencers with with um with those in our lives coworkers, family friends and god is charging us and saying hey share the good news with words say it share your story tell how you got saved right but tell the story of jesus um, several years ago, around this time of year, I had one of the most dramatic moments in my my ministry. Uh, a member of our church, her name was Donna, and we had a church plant in Arlington. So it was, I mean, mostly twenty five year olds, average age, right? And we had one lady that was sixty five, um, Donna, and so we loved Donna. Donna made us these awesome cookies, and we just we just loved her. She hung out with us all the time, and. Donna had a friend named Mike. And we had been praying for Mike for well over a year and a half, two years. And we prayed for him every week at community group. And uh, Mike would come to church with her. He'd get in the car. He'd ride with her all the way to the building. He'd He'd walk up to the door and he'd stop. He'd say, I can't go in. And he'd go back out. He's like, you can go. She'd go to church and he'd sit in the car. And he did this for almost two years, he wouldn't come in. And so I'd see him after service, see him outside, hey Mike, um, had, had talked with him some, but uh, when Donna came up to me after church one Sunday, she said, uh, Mike's been uh, admitted to hospice. He had mesothelioma, cancer you know, of the, the lining of your lungs. He was a drywaller for a while. And um, so she's like, will you come with me to go share with him, to go talk, talk to him, to tell him the gospel? Because he's not a believer, he needs to hear. So I said, "Of course, let's go." So we, we right after church, we drove up to Baltimore. He was at Hopkins, and um, I walk in the room, and he honestly was a shell of the man that I had seen before. He had just he had wasted away to virtually nothing. And I went up and I said, "Hey, Mike, man, what's up? Would you mind if I shared from Scripture with you for a little while?" And he said, "Yeah, go for it, go for it." And so for the next three hours, we went through. You know, we were in the Gospels, we were in Romans, and we were just kind of going back and forth, back and forth, talking about who is Jesus and what has he done for you. And um, for three hours, and at one point he had to get up and go out of the room, and, um, and Donna just looked at me, and she's like, nothing is getting through. It was like just nothing and just no reaction. And she's like, we've got to pray. Like, we got to break the chains, whatever it is. Like, we got to pray. So we, we sat there, and we prayed, and we said, God, if there's anything holding this man back, just break it right now. So Mike comes back into the room. We talk for another 20 minutes, and we get to Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he stops, and he looks at me, and he goes, it's that simple, huh? I was like, yeah, Mike, it's that simple. He's like, okay. So we chatted a little bit longer and I uh, got to the point where it was like, man, we gotta drive home an hour and a half. Um, this is gonna be a long day. I've been you know at church since 6 a.m. So and uh so I was like, Donna, I think we probably should go. I'm happy to come back later this week. And uh, and so I just thanked Mike for his time. I stood up and he put his hand on my arm and he said, I believe. I believe. I was like, You what? <laughs> He's like I'm there, man, I believe. I was just like blown away. I mean, this man was so far from coming to faith. And, um, and so we, we talked for a few more minutes, and, uh, and we ended up coming back uh, two days later to baptize Mike. Uh, Mike is the only one I've uh, baptized where I didn't dunk him, um, only because we couldn't do that. He really wanted to go to a river, but we couldn't do that. And, uh, and so I actually have a video of Mike. That day, we baptized him. I set up a camera, and I said, would you mind sharing your story? So I'll, I'll get that to Jacob after church, so you guys can maybe see that. But it was um, this glorious moment. He, we baptized him, and, uh, and he turned to Donna, and he said they had been friends for 14 years. He had asked her multiple times to marry him, and she wouldn't do it because he wanted to believe her. And, and he said, of all the adventures you've taken me on, this is the best one. This is the best day of my life. And I'm like, what would compel a man sitting here literally dying days away from death to say this is the best moment of my life? It's because he he had found the greatest treasure there is. Jesus. And he'd found Ultimate joy, being reconciled to God. And it was this beautiful moment, and um, and so I would just say, don't ever count anybody out. Don't ever count anybody out. God will save the ones you never think He could save. So just real briefly, um, I'll just add this on: we got to use words. And, and but I don't I don't want to say deeds aren't important either because they are um, uh, Paul t- speaking to Timothy he tells him in first Timothy 4 right watch your life and doctrine for in doing so you will save both yourself and your heroes so there's something about watching your life how we live that makes a difference in the salvation of other people so it does matter how we live our lives but there needs to be that corresponding deeds and um, and words to, do, to bring the message of reconciliation. So I hope we all want to be people who are doers of the word and not hearers only uh, so that we would exist to display the glories of Christ through both word and deed. So I waded out into the water with my buddy. Um, and uh, we, we were trying to surf, right, going back to my surf story. And I couldn't get up. I was trying, 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 trying to get up. I couldn't do it. And um, and I just say that because there might be some of you in here that you hear you should share your faith And for you you're like, I feel like all I do is screw that up, man I have just failed over and over and over again and um, And I just want to pull us to verse 21 in our text because It should be an encouragement to us for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You don't share your faith to earn God's love. It doesn't work that way. We have God's love in Christ. We've been made righteous in Christ. And we share out of that love we've received already. That's how it works. So I don't want to heap condemnation on you. So don't feel, if you're feeling that right now, expunge that, get it out, go back to the gospel, which is, this is this, that's what this is. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You have been made holy and righteous in Christ Jesus through the work of Christ. So you don't earn God's love by being a great evangelist, okay? But we do. We are called to go because we've been so loved ourselves. So um, so I would just say, as you're trying and you feel like you're falling, trying and falling, just go back, receive the grace of God, and get back up. Go back, receive the grace of God, and get back up. This should be kind of the the rhythm of our life, a a continual receiving of God's grace and mercy in our lives and recognizing it, thinking on it, meditating on it, and then stepping out in faith to live the life we've been called to in Christ through that. Um, So I got on one wave. I was trying to swim out, and all of a sudden, I felt this shove from the back. Gabe actually got up right behind me, and he pushed the board, and it made it go, whoosh, boom. I dropped right into the wave, and I actually got up, man. I was like, boom, surfing, you know, and, uh, and I got up for like two seconds, right? But I got up. I could say that I surfed, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I never would have gotten up without Gabe giving me that shove, and here's the thing. I was not out there in that water alone. I wasn't out there alone. I had a pair of rescue jumper who could, by the way, save my life if I like did something really stupid. That's why I did it. I was like, hey, if there's someone to go out here and do something really dumb with, it's Gabe. So he could save me. So, um, But, but he, he helped me get up. And here's the thing. You're never alone either when you're sharing your faith. You're never alone. What did Jesus say right before he ascended into heaven? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You have the very Spirit of God inside of you. Don't be fear. Don't be afraid. You're never alone. Never alone. So, Gabe has lived his life that others may live. Um, he's lived his life under that motto. And in a general sense, I would say that that's the gospel. And Jesus gives his life that we may live, that others may live. And now we are called to do the same. So I pray that this church would be a church that, that, that lives like that, that radically lives outwardly, looking out to the harvest because the, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. So may we go out that others may live, receiving the grace of God that we have gotten through Jesus's perfect life and death and resurrection, and then going out to share the greatest story the world has ever known and share that story with a passion and boldness because it deserves it. It's the greatest story the world has ever known. So let's pray. God, I just pray for this church that uh, you would do a mighty work here, God. Lord, all of us have received your grace and mercy because there was someone who said, I've been entrusted with this message of the gospel and the buck isn't gonna stop with me. I'm going to share the hope I have received myself. And so, Lord, I just pray that all of us in this room would just feel that fire in our bones and say, God, I am an ambassador. I have been entrusted with this glorious story. So, Lord, I'm going to go and share because it's the greatest story the world has ever known. And I'm just going to share this story. And Lord, um, know that you are at work already before me and so God the harvest is is ripe and plentiful and Lord we need more workers and Lord I just pray that you would do that mighty work in all of us because ultimately God when we get to lead people to Jesus it's the greatest joy we'll ever experience there's nothing like it and so I want that joy for every person in this room and I want that for this community because God um, seeing someone go from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And we just give you all the glory. So do this work, God. It's all you just as our reconciliation is all you. It will be all you if you inspire this church to become a a just a evangelism uh, firehouse powerhouse. (laughs) So, God, do that mighty work here. God, we just thank you for this time.